0: Welcome to Advancing All Women with Next Up. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics of the moment for women in the workplace, including key issues that affect the advancement of women, creating better workplaces for women of color, DEI and B solutions, and more.
1: So, I'm going to set the stage with some facts. Firstly, The United States has 19 million people with a felony conviction that includes one in three black men. Along with that, you've got additional tens of millions of individuals who are burdened with misdemeanor convictions. And both of these groups of individuals are typically referred to as people with records. Secondly, let's shift over to some stats about women. The number of women with felony records has skyrocketed over 475% over the last four decades. Black women are 1.7 times more likely to be behind bars than white women, while Latinx female incarceration rate is 1.3 times higher but this was another interesting fact that that really touched me once the gates lock behind these women they're indentured to a system that was historically designed for men now thirdly let's talk about the average recidivism rate and when i refer to that it's the rate that tracks the number of convicted individuals who reoffend or reenter the prison system within a one year period The U.S. recidivism rate, 44%, the highest in the world, with states ranging anywhere from 20 to well over 60%. Lastly, let's talk about the crimes that typically put both men and women behind bars. Women are typically more likely to be convicted of drugs or property crimes than men, who are more commonly convicted of more violent offenses women are more likely to have dependent kids and to have learned, earned less than their male counterparts before their convictions. So I can only imagine for all of you who are listening today, and thank you very much for doing so, you're saying to yourself, okay, Sarah, why should I keep listening on here? Well, we're going to tell you why. Because today we're talking about two things, untapped talent and second chances. For most of you who are listening, I would imagine your ears absolutely perked up after that first mention, that untapped talent. As we've seen, as we navigate our way through the great She session and the great reshuffle, we are talent starved, right? So you ask me, okay, how do I find this talent? Well, you will hear from three life-changing servant leaders, who are all strong advocates and supporters of giving second chances when you hire individuals with a criminal record. And what you're going to learn about today is a lot about the reality of our current justice justice system and how it fails many, and how these individuals then who are justice impacted, how their careers, their families, and lives are all marginalized as a result of it. You're also going to learn about the challenges and opportunities which it, within our current hiring models within our businesses, and what can we do to tap into this incredible talent and better serve and enable them as employees. You're going to hear from one of our guests, there are clear macroeconomic, corporate, and societal benefits to be had. We as leaders need to explore. We should explore how we can better support individuals who've made a mistake and they've paid for that error, but they continue to suffer the penalty of workforce barriers. I'm gonna close out here as you're gonna hear from our guest, Jeffrey Korzenek, his words. As a country, we cannot hope to get to equality of opportunity across racial lines until we offer people the opportunity to move beyond their worst moment. Second chance hiring is the solution. The road to a better society must be paved by the business community and untapped talent is the map. I am Sarah Alter, your host of Advancing All Women and proudly the CEO and president of Next Stop. And I am humbled to be joined by three phenomenal leaders and individuals. Jeff Kruzanik, who is the chief economist of one of the country's largest commercial banks and author of a book titled Untapped Talent. Dawn Gilmore, head of talent acquisition at Kroger, and she heads up the New Beginnings Initiative. And Jalan Stewart, vice president and special counsel global ethics and compliance at Walmart, and she heads up their program shared value network. So Jeff, Don and, and Jalan, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you Glad to be with you.
1: you. Now, so, just just so so honored to have, you know, all three of you joining us today. Um, Jeff, I'm going to move over to you. No better expert or thought leader to help provide the context for why these incredible programs exist and are, are thriving and so successful at both Walmart and Kroger, and what what are those you know m- macroeconomic and corporate and societal benefits that that can be gained?
2: Sure. My starting point from this was purely on the economic side. I I had no particular involvement in my family with the justice system, other than the fact that my dad was a noted attorney in Hartford, Connecticut, where I was from. But about 10 years ago, I started looking at a question that was vexing economists, uh, which was, what's wrong with our labor market? We were missing so many people that it was holding back U.S. growth. And over time, I uh, came to understand through research and speaking with business owners, government, social leaders, uh, uh, social service leaders, that our problem was rooted in social ills, long-term unemployment, the opioid epidemic, and this justice system that was creating a huge economic barrier for people who had been touched by it. Mm-hmm. And we uh, uh, all have so much to gain, not just in public safety, but in economic terms, by finding the talent among this population that we had been overlooking. And so I started collecting the stories of businesses that had been doing this successfully and uh, ultimately wrote a book uh, that's really their story. Uh, I like to say I've just described to the revolution, um, your other guests who are actually doing this great work are finding what other employers have found is if you approach this population correctly, uh, that is, you find uh, the people who are a good fit for your roles and you support them appropriately, you get not just an ordinary employee, but someone who's truly engaged in their work and loyal because they want to prove that they are more than their uh, worst mistake.
1: Yeah. No. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jalan, we'd love to have you introduce yourself to our audience as well.
3: Sure. Hello, and thank you so much for having me on this incredible program. I'm very honored to be participating this morning. So as you said, my name is Jelan Stewart, and I'm Vice President and Special Counsel of Global Ethics and Compliance at Walmart. And I've been with Walmart for almost five years. Um, But prior to joining Walmart, I was a prosecutor at the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia for 19 years. And in that job, I saw firsthand numerous Mm -hmm. individuals who are impacted by the criminal justice system those who were charged with crimes, some innocent, some not, Uh, people who were victimized by crimes, people who witnessed crimes. But I also saw people cycle through the system over and over again. Um, And part of seeing that was seeing the barriers that many of those people struggled with um, of reestablishing their lives after they paid their debt to society. And um, I actually, well, while I was with the U.S. Attorney's Office, one of the roles I held was a community prosecutor. And in that role, I helped develop a reentry program for returning citizens so that they could mm-hmm. get reestablished. Um, and so, um, w- uh, when I joined Walmart, it was very clear that I was very passionate about criminal justice and had a lot of experience in the area. So, almost three years ago, when Walmart stood up its shared value networks, which we, uh, which we finally call SVNs. Uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. relating to criminal justice, I was a natural fit for the the road and uh, for the role that I now lead our efforts at addressing racial disparities in the criminal justice system through our criminal justice share value network.
1: Don, we'd love to have you introduce yourself too.
4: Yes, thank you. Thank you again uh, for the opportunity to participate. Uh, as you share, my name is Don Gilmore. I head uptown acquisition uh, for the Kroger Company. So, you know, professionally, my job is trying to find opportunities uh, for people to discover what's possible at Kroger, uh, engage them and finding what speaks to them and and that we're an employer that I think create a lot of value um, in their life, finding all of those diverse sources of talent, if you will. There's a lot of talent out in our community uh, to Jeffrey's point. And how do we just tap into that talent um, and, and find ways to connect with them? And then also ultimately delivering an awesome experience for them uh, to make them want to join our organization. Uh, but then personally, why I'm here is I've I've experienced in my personal life uh, individuals that I've grown up with in my family that have been impacted um, by the justice system, and they do have um, more hurdles uh, to overcome and personally reestablishing themselves. So definitely, have my personal uh, passion. Around what can we do to find ways for these individuals to truly just um, create a new foundation for themselves and relaunch, if you will, uh, their their continued growth and ability to thrive as a, as a citizen, as a contributing member uh, to society, but they need some help with that. And so um, I'm just looking for ways to make that a little bit more seamless and easier for them in the role that I can play both professionally and personally.
1: Yeah. No, thank you both. So, so Jeff and I and I have to give credit where credit is due. A lot of the passion that was embedded in you know my my intro, I I like just plagiarized you know from Jeff's you know book and and the intro to his book and it was just so articulated so beautifully and so impactfully. So thank you for allowing me to share your words. But tell us a little bit more about this this marginalized community or this population, because I know as we all three talked about it, you know, while, while preparing, you know, for this discussion, you, you can imagine if somebody doesn't have this type of program today, they're going to be hesitant to who would I feel comfortable bringing in. And it, 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 so talk to us a little bit more about the size of the population. You know, I threw in a couple of the terms felony and misdemeanor, but, um, If you could kind of set the stage. So just so people understand, this is this population of individuals that can be thriving individuals and employees when they're given the right second chance and support.
2: And I would also say, and I'm sure uh, Dawn and Jalan would agree, it's often not really a second chance. It's a first chance for a lot of uh, these Mm. young men and women. Mm. Uh, The overwhelming characteristics Mm -hmm. of people who go into prison for the first time Mm -hmm. is that they are young and they are poor. And they're not criminal masterminds, they're they're dumb kids, and often uh, without family resources, without guidance. And so those are things that uh, allow them sometimes to be abused by the system, or even if they're fairly treated by the system, uh, the barriers that you face once you have a criminal record, particularly a felony conviction, uh, you you just have such enormous obstacles to reestablishing yourself that for people without guidance without family resources it becomes almost impossible to rebuild your life and if you are able to at least stay out of further justice impact as 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 most are a lot of those recidivism numbers are repeat offenders um, mm-hmm. not not you know a lot of people are one and done with the criminal justice system in the sense that they don't reoffend and then you kind of have that average of of People who seem to be multiple offenders, but even the, the one and done uh, folks are rarely able to fully reintegrate into society and to have the economic opportunities uh, that we would consider, you know, most of us would consider normal. So, what that means is employers have to understand that this is a population that has had a very, very different upbringing on average, and they may not have a family history of, of substantial work. So they don't know how to dress appropriately, that you're supposed to show up on time just just once in a while, but every single day, that you uh, need to be able to navigate conflicts with co-workers or Mm -hmm. uh, take uh, constructive criticism from a supervisor. In all these cases, people are willing to learn and want to learn. They just have never been given the tools. So employers who want to pursue this population have to do it with intention because that's how you get the value and you and you truly discover and unleash the talents in this mm-hmm. pool but they're going to need some some training some support that absolutely all of us have had in life just maybe had it from a parent instead of on the job
1: yeah no and 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 don you you had educated me on this that that term justice impacted that and it really speaks to Jeff what you just said which is um the justice system failed, you know, some of these individuals. Don, let's hear a little bit about new beginnings. How long has it been around? How far reaching is it? You know, what was the vision? And then we're gonna shift over, Jalan. I want to hear just as much about shared value network SVN as well. Although when you said SVN, I'm like, don't confuse that with SVB. I know that acronym's yeah. out there a lot these days. <laughs> we don't want to confuse ourselves with that, but yeah. But Don, <laughs> please share more about New Beginnings because it's it's incredible. It's life changing. Yeah. No. Thank
4: you for that. So, our New Beginnings program started here. Our headquarters is based in Cincinnati. Uh, so we really started our program about six years ago in 2017 at two of our local manufacturing plants, uh, State Avenue um, and Springdale uh, Ice Cream and Beverage Plant. But how we started the program is based on a visit our CEO, Ronnie McMullen had at a local manufacturing plant uh, called Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, along with Ronnie, our HR leader at the time, Jesse Turner, visited this plant because we had heard about Nehemiah um, employing hardworking individuals, talented people who have been recently incarcerated or justice impacted, but they just needed someone to give them a chance and and believe in them. And they had been wildly successful uh, with this program, but more so feeding back into the community uh, to connect with these individuals. So we were truly inspired um, by our learnings from Nehemiah And it really does connect with our purpose of feed the human spirit. And so we really, based on those interactions, based on that Mm -hmm. learning, we challenged ourselves on how can we think differently and begin to find ways we can embrace and create a similar approach within Kroger to give Mm -hmm. these individuals a new beginning. And that's why we call the program New Beginning. Um, so from that, we really uh, partnered internally. Um, to your point, we have to have the right internal conversations on how can we find the, the roles in which, as you described it, these individuals can thrive. Yeah. They can truly be successful, not only to hire them, but to create long-term success for them, growth right. opportunities, right. sustainable income, um, ability for them to take care of their whole being, if you will. Uh, So we had to make that assessment uh, within our organization and we really felt confident that we can create those opportunities within our organization, uh, within our supply chain um, and manufacturing sites. Uh, We have plenty Mm -hmm. of opportunities, plenty of growth, uh, the right type of infrastructure, the support with skill building and and, um, uh, uh, conversations and, and performance, if you will, performance conversations to help them get feedback on the job, help them thrive. Um, and then support their growth. And so uh, that's where our program has started from. Um, As we went on this journey of building the program, we also realized there's really good partners out there that we should be working with. And so we had initial conversations with partners such as Beacon of Hope. Uh, We joined the Second Chance Business Coalition as well uh, Mm -hmm. to build on our learnings and to build our knowledge. Uh, We also attended a recent workshop through Dave's Killer Bread Again, many partners out there are educating other um, employers on how to make this successful. So we're always challenging ourselves to make sure we've put the right uh, facets of a program in place mm-hmm. to um, support the success of these individuals.
1: We and, also, t- oh, sorry. Oh, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say, and, and we're not just talking one or two communities. Like,
4: oh oh no, no, no yes. You're so serving
1: how many, right? there can
4: be 30 locations at this point. Thank you. Yeah. 30 of our locations across 15 states. And I really do want to call out the focus on community partners because we have found that to be a really critical mm-hmm. uh, collaboration or stakeholder in this process. And so we've currently engaged with 29 community partners to help support our sites again um, in, in a multitude of states to help identify, embrace, support uh, these individuals um, to help them with this transition. And to Jeff's point, the intentionality behind this, you know, as you look at Jalene's uh, focus area, this had to be very intentional and in putting the right resources behind what we're trying to accomplish. So we've also put some dedicated resources internally to help yeah. embrace and lift up this program uh, within Kroger. So we're really proud of the growth. We've learned a lot over the years. Uh, We started strong. COVID had its impact um, on us Mm -hmm. for several years. And we've kind of reinvigorated the program over the last 12 to 18 months.
1: What what would you say the the gender split is like men versus women? I'll tell you historically heard.
4: in Kroger we're actually a fifty one female to male uh, percentage split in Kroger. A- we're slightly
1: a- men. <laughs> On women in our organization. Sorry, Jeff. Yes. <laughs> we love you. But to your point, I can
2: I can handle it. <laughs>
4: But as you shared, we know women um, overcome additional barriers, especially as they've come through, um, if they've been uh, convicted or have dealt with incarceration. So we know we've looked for partners that have additional support services to help women with child care or dependent care or those additional hurdles that could get in their way of securing sustainable employment. We want to make sure we work with partners that could help minimize those hurdles yeah. Yeah. or those barriers those associates yeah. have to deal with
1: no thank you thank you um and and as you know don has been you know sharing you know all the good that her program is doing jalan's been sitting over here our audience knows we always have our videos on like nodding her head smiling you know mm-hmm. so jalan let's hear about the shared value network
3: absolutely it is very similar to what don just just described um So Walmart started this journey with regard to our shared value networks that we call SVNs, to be clear. (laughs) We started this in around June 2020, (laughs) shortly after George Floyd was murdered. Um, At that time, the company decided to expand our racial equity efforts uh, by launching shared value networks. Um, and the, the true goal was to help address the root causes of racial disparity across social systems. And we, mm-hmm. we are not only attacked it through criminal justice, the criminal justice system, but we also looked at the education systems, the finance systems and health systems. And we set up, set up SVNs for each of those systems. Um, I have mm-hmm. the privilege of leading the Criminal Justice Shared Value Network. Around that same time, uh, walmart.org, the Center for Racial Equity, was founded and uh, committed uh, $100 million over five years of uh, philanthropic giving with, regarding the, these same topics. And, and so uh, the, together with the SBNs and the Center for Racial Equity, develop strategies and, um, and make investments of our resources to help increase fairness, equity, and justice, and, and belonging in those social, social systems. Um, With regard to criminal justice in particular, uh, one of the areas that was um, pretty apparent where uh, to address some of those disparities was in offering what we now call, we used to call second chance. We now have sort of rebranded as fair chance because to the Mm. points made earlier, it might be the first chance. It might be the third or fourth chance, but regardless, we're going to give people a fair chance. It's a great point. Um, yeah, so, so we, we launched initiatives mm-hmm. to promote the fair chance hiring, um, and the intent was really to connect returning citizens uh, with jobs and support that will ultimately help society. Uh, many people may not be aware that Walmart is the largest private employer of African Americans, Blacks and African Americans. We're also the largest private employer of Hispanics, Latinos, and women. Um, and we're part of all of those communities. And while we're in those communities, we can't just be an, an active participant in the community. We want to help the community. So we can give people mm-hmm. jobs and thereby reduce the recidiv- recidivism rate. And, and, I, and, I, and there's a direct connection because if people are released from incarceration or if, even they don't even have to be incarcerated, even if they have a criminal conviction and they can't get a job, that because of these barriers, there's a much greater likelihood that they yeah. will reoffend because at the end of the day, they have to take. Care. Yeah. And if, they, if people don't take the chance and employ them, then they oftentimes have a higher rate of returning to a life of crime. I, I can recall as a prosecutor, uh, there was an individual who had, I think, may have been on his third or fourth stint uh, back in the system. And he was asked, you know, why are you back? Why are you back in the system? And he he gave a very honest answer. And he said, to be honest with you, I'm back because this is only the only place I can be guaranteed three hots and a cot. And what he meant by that was this is the only place I can be guaranteed to get three hot meals and a cot to a place to sleep. And, and that's that's a sad, that's a very sad statement that someone is back in jail or back in prison, back in the system because they that's the only way that they can win. If we think about the barriers that, that individuals who are returning from incarceration or returning after a conviction face, think about the housing barriers. Just if you just think about housing, right? individuals who have a criminal record can't even live in the, the least expensive housing we have in this country. And that's, that's public housing. If you, live in, if, if you wanna live in public housing, the first thing they do is they're gonna do a background check and if you have a criminal conviction, particularly a felony conviction, you can't live there. So if you can't live in the cheapest place, you know cheapest housing in the country, and you don't have a job because employers won't employ you because you've been incarcerated, what's that person to do? So recognizing that, Walmart started focusing its efforts on uh, on trying to connect returning citizens with jobs, not only with the jobs, but as Don's point, with support. Because if yeah. we can and yeah. so what we've done is we've partnered with service providers who can provide that support to individuals. Uh, I was talking with a gentleman recently who has someone who, who has a cousin who's been getting out of prison after 30 years and will be looking for a job. If you think about being out of society for 30 years and then now you're all of a sudden supposed to be able to, get a job, get housing and take care of yourself as if you have been around for 30 years. It's very very difficult. And so yeah. we partner with service providers who can provide that additional support to those associates or employees, uh, potential employees while they're working. So they can provide help them with housing. They can help them with transportation. How are you even going to get to work if you don't have the money, right? These it, organizations provide them with money to get to work. But more importantly, they provide them with the emotional support. They provide counseling and things like that so that not only can they get the job, but they can keep the job once they have it. And so we found that the retention rate among that population is actually higher
1: because they have that additional support. It's it. it, I I just like I cannot wait till we get to the second half because (laughs) I loved the feed the human spirit and, and the fair chance. Like that, that is like what we absolutely need to remember. I'm even thinking about like the technology, right, Jalon? Like, it's like, you need a phone and you, um, sadly, we just have to take a quick commercial break, but if you're listening, do not leave us because when we come back, we're going to share. Okay. What are some of those better practices? What is that approach or framework to take so that you can successfully create this opportunity? And guess what? As Jeff had already shared, you will benefit as a business. So we will be right back in just a couple of minutes. For over 20 years, NextUp has been bringing professional
0: women, allies, and corporate partners together to champion gender equity and advance all women in their careers. Together, we are a powerful, growing community of over 14,000 members and 300-plus regional and corporate sponsors. We work to create leadership opportunities, amplify women's voices in the workplace, and And ensure that all women in business can seize opportunities in the now and in the next. Members of NextUp gain access to a broad community of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development across our 21 regional communities. Get best-in-class leadership development opportunities. And attend our two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI&B and leadership. Join Next Up Today. Visit nextupisnow.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member. That's nextupisnow.org slash membership.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody, and thank you for listening to the Advancing All Women Podcast. I am Sarah Alter, your host, and today we're talking about Second chances, first chances, fair chances, right? Providing fair chances to individuals who have criminal records. And how can leaders and businesses step up and provide them with a pathway back into a successful career once they are out of jail or out of prison? And how with that successful career, they can have successful lives, As well. And I am joined by three incredible um, life changing leaders. Jeff Korzanek, who is a chief economist of one of the country's largest commercial banks, and he is also author of a book on this very topic Untapped Talent. Dawn Gilmore, Head of Talent Acquisition at Kroger, who heads up the New Beginnings program for them. And then Jalon Stewart, Vice President and Special Counsel, Global Ethics and Compliance at Walmart. And she heads up the Shared Value Networks. So welcome back. Um, so, so Jeff, tee it up. You know, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes now. We want to provide all of the guidance and advice that we can To leaders who are listening, thinking, okay, I do want to tap into this talent, and I do want to make my business more successful and society all the better, you know, by taking this this role. So if you'll you'll start us off here.
2: Let me start out by, uh, you know, I think businesses, business owners, business executives listening are, are hearing, this sounds great, but boy, it sounds like a lot of work, or maybe I've tried this and it didn't work. Right the starting point has to be our structural labor shortage and the understanding among the business community that this is not going away. We simply stopped having enough babies 20 and 30 years ago. So the abundance of labor that most of us have had our entire careers, those of us who've been in for decades, it's gone and it's gone for good. Uh, Baby boomers are retiring. There aren't enough Uh, of the Gen Z and further generations to keep the kind of workforce growth if we do nothing different. The effort that has to be put into tapping this talent pool should be understood as an investment, not as a cost. It's an investment in tapping the single most largest Mm -hmm. overlooked talent pool in the United States. The way you do it and the way it's been done successfully is by having two processes in place one of them is to identify who is ready to be a good fit because not everyone coming out of this system is emotionally ready, morally ready. But I always think about a third of the people coming out of prison are automatically ready. They've had they've some family resources, they have stable housing, they have uh, transportation and they have a they're just people who made a one-time mistake but they have resources and and sort of a baseline. About a third can be uh, made ready. And then a third, for whatever reason, seem to be uh, very difficult to reintegrate into society. The question for an employer is, can you figure out who's who among that group? Mm -hmm. And the reality is in the uh, traditional application process and a 45 minute employment interview, it's really hard to understand Mm-hmm. Who, who's going to be a good fit. It's also a hard to compare, say, a, an application from someone who just came out of prison with someone who has been working more traditionally for the last 10 years. In many cases, that drive and determination of the person who's trying to rebuild their life will make them a better employee. But how do you judge that Against a traditional resume. And that's where you need outside partners. They might be uh, halfway houses, they might be parole and probation officers, it might be uh, traditional reentry nonprofits, social service networks um, that help you identify who's truly ready uh, to be a good fit for your company. And then, as uh, your other guests discussed, you need some wraparound services to make sure people can thrive. And again, it's not because people are bad. It's not because they, they, they are incapable. It's because they have not had the resources that most of us have had in life. But again, it's an investment and the payoff is loyal and engaged workers. That's a recipe for profitability. And frankly, in the tight labor markets ahead, my belief is that the business community has no choice but to pursue this community of, of untapped talent so you might as well do it the right way from the from the beginning.
1: Yeah. No, and I and and I and I love that you you termed it, it's an investment. Um, we find in 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 all that we do to bring our mission to life at next step. We're here to you know guide leaders and companies and how to build diversity, um, you know, equity, inclusion, and belonging into their business cultures and strategies. And typically <laughs> you you get the response like. What's it going to cost? <laughs> you know, and I can't afford that.
3: <laughs> yeah, and
2: I, I always give the example of yeah. McDonald's Corporation, as you know, moved their headquarters from Oakbrook, Illinois, you know, a suburb of Chicago, but <laughs> you know, two-hour drive in rush hour, at least it'll seem that way, to the West Loop Fulton Market District. They did it explicitly because they were trying to to chase ex- future executive talent, and that's where you yeah. went. It cost them $200 million to build a new headquarters. So think of the investments that corporate America makes day in, day out in talent, flying to schools, internships that net cost money while you have summer interns. Uh, This is just another investment. And it's one with a very, very good rate of return.
1: Yeah, no, love it. Don, I know you've got some great insights on on your learned experience. Um, please share, you know, your thoughts.
4: Yeah. I think to Jeffrey's point, I would even you know characterize the investment is low from a
1: financial perspective.
4: It's more from a commitment perspective, if you will. And I think um, if you can mm-hmm. tie that investment back to a bigger why or a bigger purpose in the organization you get uh, that immediate buy-in and the return on investment to your point pays itself in, in dividends. And kind of as Jalan shared in Kroger, we've connected this back to our framework for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we're working to advance equitable communities. So if you connect things back to the purpose, mm-hmm. it really unlocks, I think, a lot of your path forward. Love yeah, Don. if I could step first of all, second,
2: exactly support what you're saying. And and I think what you also pointed out is it takes leadership at the top.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was
2: Rodney McMillan, Absolutely. Uh, Doug McMillan, it's, it's leaders of these companies have to say, this is a priority, and I'm going to mm-hmm. hold people accountable mm-hmm. for it, because otherwise, it doesn't happen uh, in these organizations.
4: Exactly. Perfect. I absolutely agree with that. And he, he sparked the vision behind this and the passion. Um, And then many of us, absolutely. We can see it. We can connect, see how it connects to our purpose. We can see how it connects to the role we play in influencing our associates and influencing uh, the community. Um, So that paved the way for us. I think also in terms of guidance and advice uh, that I would give is there's a lot of resources out there, quite honestly. You don't have to write a playbook on this. There's a ton of resources. I think the Second Chance Business Coalition is a wonderful wealth of resources. They actually map it out for you. Like four key pathways that you have to work through and solve and uh, identify what's right for your organization um, that they will step you through that. Um, I think that's a tremendous resource and, and a way people don't have to think about how do they go this alone? What's the first step? Do I take, if you will? And I think the other piece to echo what Jeffrey shared and what Jalon has shared is the are the partnerships. Uh, the partnerships are immense, uh, immensely important, and we spend some time truly vetting our partners, if you will, um, to make sure they can provide that holistic wraparound service. Jalon talked about the focus on their mental and emotional well-being. We know it's important within Croker as we look at our people priorities that our associates we advocate for our associates and their well-being, And so we wanna make sure we find partners that can also feed into that individual and support them both mentally and emotionally through this transition, as you described. Uh, So that's very important for us. Um, And then we wanna make sure um, we focus on how do we help this associate thrive within the organization, Mm -hmm. ensuring they have, as all of our associates do, access to role-based training, skill-building training courses and curriculum access to their manager and making sure we're having regular connections and touch bases so we can tell them when they're doing well and we can coach them for improvement as well. We think those are very important to help someone thrive um, in the organization. And we provide that to all of our associates, but we also know these individuals they need that reinforcement. They need that encouragement. They need to know when, when they're doing great and we'll help them um, with improvement every day. So we have found that to be very important. And to your point, that leads to stronger retention. As Jalon shared, these individuals, um, Mm -hmm. they want someone to give them a chance. They believe um, in themselves and they can prove themselves to the organization. And when they're given that opportunity, you see them retaining longer, especially in an organization that's also committed to their success. We're currently experiencing over almost 80% retention rate uh, with these associates. So you play that back to Jeffrey's point on the investment. If you know the cost of losing people, then you know, the value in retaining people and mm-hmm. therefore if you can create a program that can facilitate long-term retainment of associates that's part of the investment right there
1: but it 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 I love what you hit on Don because it's in that deiB <laughs> you know framework it's you're you're clearly creating diversity you know equity and inclusion but you're really focusing on the belong. And it, it, um, there's another incredible thought leader, Frances Frey. I don't know if anybody's ever read any of her work. Phenomenal, you know, business thought leader. But she talks about it, even goes beyond it's do I feel welcome? Do I feel safe? Do I feel celebrated? Mm-hmm. You know, she has other dimensions that she adds on to this framework. And, and I, I love that in, in both your cases, both yours and Jalan. You're really focused on, you know, it's not just about, hey, I made an offer, they accepted and now good luck. <laughs> you know, it's no, just as with any other employee, you're identifying, okay, well, what are those unique needs that they may have, those unique strengths mm-hmm. that they may have or unique experiences that you can really take advantage of and, and, and the two go hand in hand. Um, Jalan, what thoughts do you have?
3: Sure. Um, you know, for, for people who are interested in building the program, I can describe the approach we took. The first thing we did was we made it easier to be hired. That's the first thing. Um, and when, what I mean by that is we banned the box on applications. We actually did that more than 10 years ago. Uh, it used to be that employers, you know, many employers just have an application that says, and there's a question that says, have you ever been convicted of a crime? And uh, individuals would be, check that box and the employer would see that box checked and move on and there would be no, no further inquiry. We stopped that many years ago um, and we found that um, it, we we'd like to interview people first. And then give them a job, a conditional job offer and then do the background check because then you get to know the person. There's so mm. much more to a person than just the conviction. Seeing a conviction on the on a uh, on a criminal back criminal history check doesn't tell you anything about that person yes. other than the fact that they were convicted many different circumstances surrounding that. And there are many different rehabilitative efforts that may have been had since that conviction. So what we do is, we, as I mentioned, we ban the box, we do the interview, we make the conditional offer, job offer, and then if there is um, something that comes up in the criminal background check, we offer what's known as circumstance review. We give individuals an opportunity to explain the, the, uh, the criminal incident and to also
1: I'm sorry. Oh, no, I said interesting. My, I'm so oh. sorry. Yeah. Keep going, please. <laughs> yeah.
3: and, and then to also explain the rehabilitative efforts that they've made. So, for example, someone may have a conviction from 20 years ago for um, uh, a sex offense. And it turns out when you look further, it was a conviction for. Uh, soliciting prostitution—maybe an 18-year-old solicitor of a prostitute—they get a conviction for solicitation of prostitution. In some states, that's determined, that's deemed to be a sex offense, and uh, and that person has a hard time getting a job 20 years later. But when you talk to that person, when you give or when you give them an opportunity to explain, then you can learn those details, and you can find that they don't present a risk to your business. And so that's the first thing we do: is we make it easier to be hired. The other thing that we do is we train our and educate our field leadership and our frontline hire, hiring manager, uh, managers on the pain points and barriers that those who are reentering society face. Um, for example, if you have someone who is on – probation or parole, and they're required to do check-ins, they may need a different schedule so because they have to check in. Because if they don't check in with their probation or parole officer, there may be consequences like, for example, their parole may be revoked and they may end up back in jail or prison as a result. So once we explain certain circumstances to our our management, they have a better understanding and can be more empathic toward that, that population. Um, the other thing is we can explain the benefits of hiring from this population to our field leadership. Explain things like what both Jeff and Don have said the retention rates being significantly higher for this population. And when once we explain that to our leadership, we get their buy-in. Um, and it's and, and that in and of itself provides support to this population. And the final thing we did, which which we do, which I've mentioned over and over again, is we partner with uh, the service providers to provide that uh, additional support. Um, And at Walmart, what we did a couple of years, when we first started this, is we started with pilot programs. And what we did was we had job fairs specifically for this population. We started in uh, three cities, in Atlanta, Dallas, and Chicago. And we had a job there just for this population. And we invite, we partner with probation um, and many different service providers. And what we had them do was bring us applicants. We had them bring them to the Mm -hmm. site. Um, We conducted interviews on the spot. Um, And then we also showed them the benefits that Walmart can offer to them. Uh, For example, we have uh, Live Better You, which is our education component where we provide uh, free college But not only free college, but we also provide certificates. So if someone wants to get an HVAC certificate or something like that, Mm. we will pay for the educational opportunity for that population. So we showed the the benefits to the the applicants, and then we had them apply for positions. We found that some people who were, were having difficulty even getting through the application, but those service providers were right there with them to help them navigate the application and then also explain their rehabilitation efforts so that we had a complete picture, a more complete picture of the person. And by the end of that job fair, we made conditional job offers to many of the the applicants. One thing that was really remarkable about that was we had uh, an individual who was a current associate who had been with us for, I believe, 11 years at that point. And he talked to that population, the group of applicants, and he said, you know what? I was sitting here in your shoes about 10 years ago or 10 or 11 years before. And Walmart gave me a chance and he said he'd been with the company and uh, starting, you know, not the not the highest salary that he started with. But by that, uh, after 11 years, he was still with the company and he was making uh, a six figure salary. And that in and of itself really gave inspiration to that group of applicants.
4: I think that's a really important point, Jalan. To your point, there are so many success stories out there, to your point, because you got to also inspire them. They can't give up on themselves. They also know there are opportunities, there are employers out there that are willing to invest in them and help them succeed. So, those success stories and sharing that and sharing Mm -hmm. the pathway to success and how you can overcome this and There are services out there to support you are, I think that makes a really, really big difference. Um, And you're telling those stories, not only to these individuals, but to your point, you're telling it to your, your team and your, your stakeholders as well. So they can be inspired by those stories and they want to be part of that as well. We have a similar example of a young lady, a female associate that came through our new beginnings program. Um, at State Avenue. And to your point, she, since the launch of that program and since being part of that, her ability to uh, secure and have stable employment and be able to use that to purchase her first home, um, if you will, and create that now this this like this opportunity for her future generations. Right now you're creating a fe- a different outcome for her future generations, and being able to tell that story. She she was a hard worker. She was dedicated. She was thankful. She was proud. But she just needed someone to give her a chance. And now we've we've truly been able to change her life and change the life of others around her. But those are the stories you have to tell. Those are the stories that are mm-hmm. within each one of our organizations and the opportunities out there. And I think that's the real a lot, um, for both parties involved in this really awesome.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, so inspired by, by all three of you and, and sadly our, our 50 minutes is up, uh, but I, I can't thank you enough, um, Jeff and, and Don and Jalan for joining us today. And, and and sharing, you know, your stories, but most importantly, just the incredible impact that you are delivering through, you know, Jeff shining the spotlight on this opportunity, this untapped talent and community and Jalan and Don for bringing that mission to life. And for years and across a multitude of individuals and communities, you know, making this happen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, Voice America, for always allowing us to share our stories. Thank you to the audience who's been listening in. I know you are going to take this away and run with it. And we will include, every time we um, post our podcasts, we include all sorts of great links and content. And and if I know these three individuals, if you reached out to them on LinkedIn saying, hey, I want to start this program. I can guarantee you they would respond. Um, so don't be shy, and you know what, be bold and take that action and make this happen. You know, within your own organization. I am Sarah Alter, the host of Advancing All Women, and as always, thank you everybody for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with Next Up. Be sure to check out all the episodes on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.